This is The Guardian. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. Brazil are good, aren't they, Barry? Two goals and a scintillating second-half performance, a ludicrous bench of attacking talent. Richarlison is the star, one tap-in and one absolute beauty against Serbia, who are quite a good football team despite doing virtually nothing tonight. Also today, Ronaldo will get the headlines for becoming the first man to score in five World Cups. But just imagine if Inaki Williams hadn't slipped over as he tried to Dion Dublin, Diogo Costa. It would have been glorious as it was. Portugal held on to beat Ghana 3-2. Five goals, which is five more than most games. It seems that this World Cup, Uruguay and South Korea failed to score in a reasonably interesting afternoon runaround. Probably more exciting than Switzerland's 1-0 win over Cameroon. African football not having a great tournament so far. Also today, a short World Cup quiz. Probably some moaning about the amount of football there is. Your questions, and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, Barry Glendenning, welcome. Hello, Max. Hello, Jonathan Faduba. Hello. And live from the media centre. Where are you, Wilson? I'm in the main media centre in Doha. Is it nice? It's very nice, actually. It's huge. Um, there's a restaurant, there's a cafe, there's a muck cafe, uh, there's free coffee and water. It's, uh, am I being a hypocrite by drinking water provided by the Qataris? Maybe I am. Yes, yes, you are. I nice. don't think you should drink any water. Are there not lavish buffets, to, as far as the eye can see, that you just dip your snout into free. I keep hearing about them from Newcastle and Manchester City fans. I mean, there is a buffet that I went to. Let me see how much it costs. Um, had to pay for it. It was 53 reals, uh, which is... That was not bad, actually. 11, 12 quid, something like that. Okay. Was it a good buffet? I mean, it was, no, it was quite mediocre, but it was broccoli on it, which looked like a vegetable. Okay. Brazil 2, Serbia 0 then. Paul, in the first half, tweeted, I bet even Tottenham-centric Max and the rest of the pod can't believe he picked Richarlison over Jesus. Utterly anonymous first half from Richarlison. D Withers says, Richarlison being Spursy and just starting at half-time. And Luke says, what does Barry have planned for his winnings when Richarlison lifts the golden boot? Hashtag Mystic Baz. Hashtag doing better than Ben Teke. Uh, let's talk about that second Richarlison goal, Barry. It was heavenly, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, let's give credit to Vinicius Jr. for the cross, first of all. He was, I thought, outstanding. His ability to pick out teammates in the box with deliveries is is superb. But he, he rolled the ball into Richarlison, who flicked it up in the air and then scored in a absolutely sublime, I'm, I'm saying a scissors kick. And uh, I think it was the goal of the tournament so far, but... I, I can only remember that game, so there might have been better ones. <laughs> I think you're giving um, Vinicius Jr., I mean, he is obviously brilliant, a little bit of credit, just say rolled it in. I mean, I thought that that ball was actually impossible to control, Wilson. And like to, that first touch was 
So every, there, was, there was nothing like Richarlison to, to get a first touch that would enable him to have any sort of chance of shooting was pretty impressive. Do you think he did that deliberately? The first touch, the, 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 the flick over the shoulder. I mean, I, I, I okay. Yes. I mean, look, look, he, well, I think he tries to cushion the ball. I think there's very little yeah, he can do. Yeah, no, that's the point. Mm. Yeah, he he tries to to cushion a ball that's that's quite difficult for him. I don't think he meant to flick it over his shoulder like that, but then he reacts brilliantly having having done that. So it's not like a bad first touch, but I don't think the first touch intended to send it looping over his uh, right shoulder. All oh, right. Where, where where do you stand on this, Jonathan? Or on whether he meant to flick it or whether it was a good goal. Uh <laughs> well, I mean, I, th- I mean, if you don't think it's a good goal, fair enough. But you have a very high bar. Uh, but, but you know, where, where, whether that first touch was intentional or not, am I giving him too much credit? I think you're giving him credit, but the way he manipulates it to be able to score it is still is still incredible. Um, yeah, I think as, uh, the only other goal maybe that could could match it is the Saudi Arabia second goal against Argentina. That was a pretty good strike. But yeah, Richarlison's looking pretty good. I thought the first half they were kind of struggling to find their rhythm, Neymar dropping quite deep. And then second half, they just started to turn on the star, really. And I, I agree with Barry. I think Vinicius was one of the best players. And then when Rodrigo came on, he's sort of equally as good. So they've got quite a few options from the bench as well. So a pretty, pretty impressive performance. I saw Copper 90, you know, tweeting a picture of that Richarlison strike and saying, hang it in the Louvre. I just start thinking, if my mum went to the Louvre, and there were just all these fo- pictures of football. The whole, you know, the whole thing. Even if I went, I'd be like, "This is not. I don't need this. You know, I don't need to see Aguero running off. Just a, you know, just someone just printed it out and hung it in the loo." But anyway, and you wouldn't say it. You wouldn't say it the other way around, would you? No. Like you, 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 you wouldn't take. I don't know the Mona Lisa and say, <laughs> "Chuck that in the box at Anfield." No, <laughs> stick it in the mixer. Absolutely right. It's a, it's a one-way analogy, isn't it? it doesn't it just doesn't work? I think it's a no-way analogy. I think it's a terrible analogy yeah. and people who say that should be shot. Well, I, I mean, I guess you could take Michelangelo's David and say, you know, stick that up top for Wimbledon in the 90s and could do a job, possibly. Anyway, we were debating which game should start and you said Brazil, obviously, Wilson, because they were really good in that second half. And I guess if you think of the really dominant displays so far in the World Cup, England were very dominant against a bad Iran team. Spain were very dominant against a bad Costa Rica team. Serbia aren't a bad team. They didn't play brilliant tonight, but Brazil took them apart in that second half. Yeah, I mean, I'm slightly uncomfortable about the use of the word bad there. I think Serbia are clearly better than Costa Rica or Iran, sure. and therefore to beat them is a, is a harder thing, and this is a much harder test for them. I think there was three three real questions about this Brazil team. Yeah, they've been on this great run of one defeat in 27 games, something like that, before, before tonight. But... Three questions was were that they 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 only played the Czech Republic in I think, March 2019. That was the only European team they played since losing to Belgium in the quarterfinal last time. Could they cope against the physicality and intensity of a European team? Well, that Serbia team is incredibly physical, and that just didn't seem a problem. The second question is to get in the four forward players. It means they only have two deep line midfielders. Is that midfield of Casemiro plus? Lucas Pacata or uh, Fred possibly against uh, tougher opponents. Is that going to be good enough defensively? We don't know. I mean, there was no problems tonight and Serbia finished above Portugal, but they are a good side, albeit missing uh, Dusan Blaovic and and Mitrovic, I think, not fully fit. Uh, And and I think possibly that condition just how sort of cautious they were. But 
it, it didn't seem a problem tonight, and and Serbia are a level above any you know, as you're saying, Iran or Costa Rica. So you know, they, they, it's it, you know, there's no worries there. Certainly, the third thing is they do have some quite hard-headed players up front. How would they cope with things that are going wrong? Well, the first half it could have got frustrating and didn't. So I think that's probably a positive sign. Even the first sort of ten minutes of the second half. So I, I think one question absolutely answered. Two of the questions, at least the question hasn't got become a stronger question. So uh, I think yeah, I think that sort of the way they came out at the beginning of the second half and put pressure on immediately. I mean, they, there was the chance what two minutes into the half when they, they you know they press high, won the ball back from from the the, the, the short goal kick. And from then on, basically Serbia were were really rattled, and and and, and you were sort of waiting for the goal to come. It wasn't one of those uh, games. It's sort of nil nil, and you sort of as time goes by, you're thinking, oh yeah, the, the the better team is getting frustrated. They were just looking more and more like scoring until eventually they did. And yeah, you know, they hit the woodwork twice as well as scoring twice. So they moved the ball so brilliantly. And Barry, I was trying to work out when I was watching that second half. Does it just look great when Brazil? play intricate passing like look better because it's in a brazil kit and it says brazil and you just that's what you expect from brazil like am i conditioned to want them to to play lovely football so when they do it even sort of in an okay way i think well that's amazing because it's brazil or were they actually really good i suppose it could be both um i'm not sure what way you're conditioned max <laughs> <laughs> I I know you quite well, but I'm not not that intimately. Um, yeah, they they were hugely impressive, and but it it took them an hour to get going and hit their stride, I think. But when they did, there was only going to be one winner, and you know they they pretty much won as a canter in the end. Milinkovic Savic in goal for uh, Serbia had he made some good saves and. I would not read too much into this performance. I, I thought Serbia played quite well in the first half. Like It was a good defensive effort from them, but they, they didn't bring a huge amount to the party. And you mentioned it, Jonathan, when they bring on, their bench is ludicrous. You know, we quite look at the England bench and think, actually, there's some really good attacking talent. But when you're bringing on like Rodrigo and then Jesus and Anthony, um, did Martinelli come off the bench as well? Yeah, you know, like it's, it's sort of a staggering array of attacking talent. They do have a... A plethora of fine talents. Uh, I I do think having obviously now we've seen all the teams. I do think England can match them in terms of depth of squad, uh, bench wise. They're the only other team who sort of when they brought players off the bench, you, you still didn't seem to have any sort of dip in quality. I thought um, maybe Spain as well, but maybe a little bit less experienced. You know the players they brought on, um, younger players, obviously the left back for example. But I thought. Um, they just didn't lose any kind of rhythm or, or, or there was no dip in, in tempo when, when the likes of Jesus and Martinelli and Rodrigo came on. And there's a bit of maybe an injury worry for Neymar. He went out, kind of went off under a bit of a cloud. I don't know if that's something that might be a problem, but they didn't, you know, they've got so many attacking options. Um, and it was quite interesting to see Richarlison do so well because it seemed, you know, that, that although he's, he get, is that focal point for them. Now he's kind of announced it, and that that will be his place. So there's a lot of there's a lot of competition for the, you know, the either side of him. That, because Rafinha, I didn't think was incredible, but he, he's maybe the one that I, I thought maybe didn't perform as well as maybe the others. But he's you know he's still maybe on that right side preferred. So yeah, they've they've just got so many uh, options. It's it's crazy really. I, I really like Rodrigo. I, I struggle to see how he doesn't get in this team, but um, 
obviously when you see how well they perform, it maybe explains why. Um, in the build-up to this tournament, a lot of talk is about Neymar, Wilson, and and you know the, a bit like Messi, right? This is this is for his legacy is is for Brazil to win. It's really important. And we had lots of questions about him, basically asking if he's any good or not. Um, Jamie said Neymar is a whisker away from being Brazil's all-time top goalscorer. He's also won twenty-five plus trophies, including the Champions League. How good of a talent do the panel think he is? Where does he rank in the pantheon of forwards? Did he ever reach his potential? Is the hype justified? Um. I mean, he's a extraordinarily gifted player. I don't know if you saw there was a so there was a thing before the World Cup when they had Brazil players in a stadium and they had a drone going higher and higher and higher above the halfway line and dropping a ball. And it got like, with him it was thirty five meters and they dropped the ball and you saw the other players just missing it completely, you know, the first touch spooning it forty yards away. And I think Richarlison sort of looking very awkward did control it. Neymar just sort of you know, just sort of flicks it up and starts and keep it up. So it's absolutely extraordinary. See, he's a phenomenally gifted player. But there's always that question mark there, partly about his temperament, and that goes right back to when he was very young. And I saw him in, the first time I saw him was in 2011 at the Copa America, when uh, he really got pretty badly bullied by a really old, slow fullback for Paraguay. I like how you slowed down. While saying it as well. Do you talk at the pace of the player that you were discussing? Goodness, when you start talking about Dennis Romdahl, you'll be going incredibly fast. <laughs> well, I saw Dennis Romdahl, so I had to against, uh, obviously, Riesendahl once oh. uh, while playing for PSV. Anyway. Um, that was me speaking quickly. I don't know. Did that work? I don't quite. Know. Doesn't matter. And, and you know, he got very frustrated then, and, and, and sort of, I think he's never quite shaken that off. And then just as he seemed to be getting to his peak uh, at Barcelona, and the, yeah, that forward line with him and Messi and Suarez worked so well together. They clearly got on really well together. And then, of course, he goes to PSG. And, and the problem with going to PSG is that he's actually only being judged on two or three games a season because nobody cares what you do in France. You know, it's, it, it's, it's a very easy level for him. And, and um, yeah, his idea of going there to, to get out of Messi's shadow to, to win the Ballon d'Or, well, actually, it was the complete reverse of that because you don't win the Ballon d'Or by, by beating... You know, Nantes and Mets and people. You you win the Ballon d'Or by beating Real Madrid, uh, and the fact they haven't won the Champions League, for which he has to. You know, he's obviously not the only reason, but as their record signing, as the the, the highest profile player in that squad, at least until pretty recently when maybe Mbappe has overtaken him, he he has to take responsibility for that. And I don't think his his attitude there is has particularly helped. You know, the stories about. Yeah, having his three-day birthday party, and getting you know, I am ready to come and cut the cake, and and sort of dashing back to to Rio for carnival and things. None of that has helped him be the best footballer that he he could be. Makes sound very must be very tired to dash back to carnival. I wouldn't. This is an incredibly noisy thing to dash back for. Um, Martin Keown was keen to point out that Brazil looked, you know, just as good if not better when Neymar went off. Lars tweeted us. Uh, Does Martin Keown feel joy, Barry? It's hard. I mean, you don't know how I'm conditioned. You don't know how Martin Keown's conditioned. Yeah, I, I met Martin Keown once and had a quite long conversation with him about his um, family back in Galway and and about Kenny Sanson, uh, his former teammate. It wasn't particularly joyous experience, but he seemed a nice enough guy <laughs> to me. <laughs> Very intense. You know, he fixes you with his laser-like stare and... He could be asking you a question as innocuous as, how did you get here? 
and and you sort of quaking in your boots. I quite like him as a pundit, actually. He gets stick. I see um, John Hartson's been getting stick as well for his co-coms. I think totally unjustified. I'm a big fan of Johnny Hartson's. But um, I'm, I'm not sure how that comment he made about Brazil being just as good when Neymar went off can be construed as him being joyless by Lars. I mean, Brazil did create loads of chances in the last 10-15 minutes, but Serbia had given up. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they were fighting for a point, and once they're teamed down, we're not going to get a point. So I just don't... I mean, maybe they are better without Neymar. I think that is entirely possible. I just don't think that game proved it, and Neymar played pretty well when he was on. Uh, Stefan says, could one of you explain... WTAF is going on with Alison's facial hair. Um, I can't remember who yesterday. I, Courtois is looking more and more like the policeman from a lower low, but so is Alison. I mean, I don't know if that's you know the greatest goalkeepers in the world just trying to look all trying to look like the policeman from a lower low. Or they've been all been invited to a goalkeepers union party, which happens to be policeman from a lower low fancy dress. I mean, if it is, I'm all for it. Um, uh, 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 and the only other question is: Does anyone else think the you know, the posh seats that, you know, it cuts to Roberto Carlos or Cafu. And those sort of armchairs, they just don't fit in a football. They just don't seem right for football. I don't know if anyone else has strong feelings about this. It's just, it's just They should be in a sitting room somewhere. I don't know. I, I, well, I think that's quite a Middle Eastern thing. Because I remember I was at the Asian Cup in Lebanon in 2000. And that was a real feature of that tournament, the VIP box with the big leather armchairs. Okay. I mean... I think if you're singling out armchairs in stadiums as the one thing about this World Cup that seems slightly incongruous, you might need to have a look at the bigger picture. As an aside, I I think... There goes my column for this week. As an aside, I think the actor who played the policeman in a low, low... Subsequently, oh, the Crabtree was his name. Subsequently, worked as a sub editor on the Guardian Sports Desk. Did he? Did he, so. did, did he say you've written morning M O R N I N G? That's that's not how you spell it. <laughs> that's been devastating. There's just so many articles in the Guardian. It's so good if they were sub edited by the police. <laughs> Jonathan, do you know what we're talking about? Do you have any idea what we're talking about? Absolutely not. No, that's good. That's a... Oh, I'm pleased about that. Anyway, that'll... the joy in your face, Max. I'm, I'm laughing. I'm just laughing along with it. If you could see Max's face, the happiness. Like, you couldn't have a worse. You couldn't ask for a worse sub-editor of a newspaper. Like literally on the whole planet, the worst person to sub-edit a newspaper. Anyway. <laughs> Anyway, that'll should be probably funny. stress just to make the lawyer's life easier that the policeman from Alolo is not a real person and is actually played by an actor who is English. <laughs> anyway, that'll do for part one. Uh, part two, uh, we'll discuss Portugal's victory over Gartner. We'll compose ourselves and discuss Portugal's victory over Gartner. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. 
Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. So Portugal three, Ghana two. Ah, oh, at the end, Barry, Inaki Williams trying to do a... A Dion Dublin on Shea Given, a Gary Crosby on Andy Dibble, if I remember correctly, on Diogo Costa. It's such a shame, isn't it, that that didn't end up in an equaliser. Yeah, it would have been hilarious. Um, I think the Gary Crosby and Andy Dibble, he headed it out of Andy Dibble's hand. Yeah, that's right. Whereas Dion Dublin actually... Yeah, so basically Diogo Costa, the Portugal goalkeeper, oblivious to the fact that Inaki Williams was lurking behind him hoping he'd throw the ball on the ground in front of him, threw the ball on the ground in front of him, prompting Inaki Williams to dart forward, steal the ball, turn to try and shoot into the empty net, and he slipped. He slipped, Max, and only for that. The gods were smiling on Diogo Costa, and even at the final whistle, when Portugal had won 3-2, he was completely distraught. As just thinking about the horror he had almost unleashed upon himself and um, several teammates including Cristiano Ronaldo had to go and console him but yeah real heart and mouth moment for him and I don't mind saying I, I was really disappointed that uh, gravity got the better of Williams or is he chosen the wrong stud length but because yeah. it was quite an audacious thing for him to do and and uh, Costa played right into his hands. I don't know about you, Jonathan, but, but but the interesting thing was, because I I wasn't expecting it, I was sort of half watching, thinking, well, this game's done. And then I was like, what's happened here? And then, oh, I know it's the same question to Barry. I'm just really gutted about it. It just happened. I'm just really gutted. Yeah, it would have been nice. It would have sort of been a fitting way to end a, a bit of a crazy game, to be honest. Um, it was quite funny watching Ronaldo kind of semi-berate him as well after the full-time whistle. Uh, and for a young goalkeeper, I mean, it's quite funny because I was just thinking to myself, Costa... He's emerged now as the number one choice for Portugal and, and a lot of people are talking about him as the next big thing. He's really good at saving penalties and that kind of thing. So I was just in the back of my mind thinking that he's had an all right game and then he just commits this this howler. He looked really disappointed with himself. So I'm sure he won't be doing that again anytime soon. But I do kind of wish that um, Inaki had pulled it off and not slipped. Um, There's maybe even a shout for a penalty, but I think he just, he just literally slipped, didn't he? So yeah, shame for Ghana. So you did the minute by minute, Barry. Portugal probably deserved it, didn't they? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was a dog of a game for the first hour. Played at a pedestrian pace. Cristiano Ronaldo missed a couple of decent chances in the first half. Won an inexplicable miss from a header that you would expect him to score a hundred times out of a hundred, and the other a good save from the the Ghana goalkeeper. Interesting, I noticed before, or I discovered before the game. Ghana brought three goalkeepers to this tournament who have four caps between them um, because their two first-choice keepers are both injured. One of them plays for Charlton. Um, Joe Wallacott, being their number one, he broke a finger shortly before the tournament started, which is unfortunate for him. But, um, yeah, it would, the first half was diabolical on ITV. Roy Keane said it was so bad it was making him really angry. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, then at the, the second half, there wasn't much sign of improvement, to be honest. And and after 15 minutes of the second half, Portugal got a penalty. I 
didn't think it should have been given. Others disagree with me. It was very touching. Oh, Mohamed Salas, who tackled Ronaldo, or took the ball off his toe. Um, oh, it's a 50-50 decision at best, I think. But anyway, the penalty was given. Ronaldo scored it, making him the first player in history to score in five World Cups. And then, it, uh, yeah, it was... Then things got lively. Uh, Ghana equalised quite quickly through Andre Ayew, who was very unimpressed to be taken off soon afterwards and replaced by his brother. And while he was remonstrating with the manager and taking the congratulations of his teammates on the bench, <laughs> um, Portugal <laughs> scored their second goal, got a third one quite quickly afterwards. Um, Ghana pulled one back, and then there was the customary nine minutes of added time, and it was in the tenth minute of added time that uh, Diogo Costa almost gifted um, Ghana an equaliser. So, yeah, I, I don't really... You wouldn't call it a thriller because for for 65 minutes it was diabolical, but uh, it certainly perked up after that. Um, so, Ronaldo, first man to score at five World Cups. Wilson, a quiz for you. Do you know who's stuck on four? Um, there are uh, four players. Four players. That Mexican uh, fella. Uh, no. Marquez. No, no, to score at five World Cups. Marquez might have played at five, but who's scored at four? Do you want to give me nationalities or is that too Argentina, easy? Argentina. Argentina. Uh, uh, Batistuta? No. No. Maradona? No. Messi? Yes, correct. <laughs> One point Barry. I'm not going to lie, Max. This quiz is dying on the towers. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, they might edit the silences out if we're lucky. Lothar Matthias. No. Uh, there, there is a German. Um, there are two Germans, in fact. Thomas Muller and Jürgen Klinsmann. No. no. Rudy Voller. No. Lipowski. No. Closer. Correct. Two to go. There's a Brazilian and a German. Pele. Correct. Barry, Barry's two up. This is very exciting. Wilson, absolutely <laughs> devastated. Look at his face. Very upsetting. Who's the, what, the nationality? Another, the, another German. Another um, German. Muller. Is no. it... Um, oh, the, uh, uh, what's he called? Scored the back header against England in 1970. Um, is it him? Uh, I mean, I don't know who scored the back header against... Is it Ziggy Helt? Ziggy Helt. It's not Ziggy Stardust. It's Uwe Seeler. Uwe Seeler. That's who I meant. Fucking, yeah, fucking, fuck, fuck, fuck. <laughs> I'm <laughs> so tired. <laughs> Why are you so tired, Wilson? Because there's football on all the time and I have to work and like you don't get to bed till 2am. It just, just destroys you. <laughs> <laughs> you look quite... I mean, I'm you broken. Look, <laughs> you, look, you look totally bereft. Um... Would you agree, um, Jonathan Vaduba, with Barry's sort of summation of that game? Even though, you know, Ghana sort of made it interesting and, and Portugal weren't actually that great, it probably it ended how it should. It would have been pretty scandalous if Ghana had got a point out of that. Yeah, I'm, I'm really... This game kind of was very frustrating, I think, for from a Ghana point of view. I think that I don't get this sort of, dare I say it, inferiority complex of certain um, African teams. I think that... Portugal were there for the taking. I didn't understand the sort of Southampton five at the back, three, two of Ghana. And it, it just seemed like they were just waiting for Portugal to take the lead before trying anything. Then as soon as they did take the lead, they immediately equalised. 
And then as soon as they equalised, they took off their two best players who created the goal, Kudus and Andre Ayew. Um, Kudus was having a really good game. He was the only player of Ghana that was actually breaking the lines and looking to push forward and, you know, um, that looked decent. The, the decision to take him off for Jordan Ayew, I think, was proved catastrophic. Um, Jordan Ayew, I fought for two goals immediately after coming on, uh, which led to the you know second and third goals. If you watch them back, he loses the ball. So I just feel like Ghana and to a certain extent, Cameroon as well in the earlier game, kind of just waiting for the opponent to score before really trying when they're, they're not actually that bad. Um, Portugal, I agree like with what Barry said. Although they deserve to win, I don't think they really played that well, to be honest, Portugal. I thought they were pretty pedestrian. Rafa Leal was a good substitute and I would have thought that he has to start in future games. I think Ronaldo is similar to Manchester United. He slows things down up front, whereas Leal kind of speed, sped it up a little bit when he came on. Um, but of course, Ronaldo, you can't you can't drop Ronaldo as the captain. So although Portugal, maybe you could say deserved it, I, I still feel like Ghana didn't give the best of themselves. And I just don't get this kind of five at the back, wait till you're losing to start playing. And it just seemed like they all kind of wanted to lose, really. Um, they, I thought Portugal were there to be had. I thought Kudus was good, but not until quite late in the game when he started playing in a more advanced role. And it was something Ali McCoy's kept talking about on Colcoms on ITV saying that he was wasted back in midfield where he apparently prefers playing but once he he moved forward a bit after Portugal scored and made a huge difference uh yeah Cancelo had a very bad game by the lofty standards I've come to expect from him watching him play for Manchester City I thought he was terrible he was at fault for one of the goals uh as well and yeah, I, I would certainly agree that the decision to take off Kudus when he just uh, had direct involvement in the opening goal for Ghana was bizarre. Is it both the Ayus, Wilson, that frustrate you? Because here, Andre did quite well and Jordan had the bad time. No, I'm a big fan of Andre and uh, I'm a big critic of Jordan. Uh, so Dede Ayus' performance in the Copa Nations quarterfinal against Tunisia in 2010, I think it's one of the all-time great individual performances. Uh, that he he just he got kicked a bit and just kept going back, kept going back, and then I can't remember if he scored the winner or set it up, but he was definitely instrumental in the winner in injury time, in extra time. Sorry. Uh, whereas Jordan, Ayew, you know, if it's a bad decision to be taken, he will take it. And you look back, look, yeah, and I, I, I mean, this will be in my column on Sunday. Uh, I found myself writing it again today, but. <laughs> Um, well, I can't write the Ronaldo one anymore. I've had to retire that. So I'm going to do my knocking Jordan Ayew column instead. Which you probably can't do quite as often. Yeah, but, but yeah, Germany in the 2014 World Cup were 2-1 down to Ghana and Jordan Ayew broke into the left side of the box. And if he played the easiest square ball in the history of square balls, uh, Asamo Jan would have tapped it into an empty net and Germany would have lost 3-1 and who knows what might happen. Germany might not have won the World Cup. And then how, how different the world could be because uh, it was only two years after that we had Brexit, don't forget. And yeah, that, that might not have happened if Jordan Ayo had squared it. <laughs> but he didn't. He, he, he shot, going for glory for himself. And um, yeah, it was saved. On came Miroslav closer and I think equalised pretty much immediately. Germany got out with a draw and, uh, and the world set off on this course that it's following now. It's ended up with you being so tired. You were nodding furiously, Jonathan, at that. I was literally about to say that same comment um, about the 2014 World Cup. Like, I feel like my entire adult life has been spent watching Jordan Ayew make mistakes in World Cups. You know, like every World Cup, the theme is like Jordan Ayew messing something up. 
when Ghana have a great opportunity. So I totally agree with that. Well, and also Cup of Nations. Like, I mean, seriously, how much of my life have I spent watching Jordan Ayew be offside? <laughs> like, it, it happens like 10 times a game, right? And I must have seen him play 50, 60 times. So say, it, say each one's about 30 seconds. I mean, that's, a, that's what, that's, that's five hours. I spent five hours of my life watching Jordan Ayer be offside. <laughs> Should we praise Ronaldo a bit more? We sort of glossed over him scoring. We did a fun quiz, but we sort of glossed over him scoring in five consecutive World Cups. And I guess this pod is not, we don't praise Ronaldo that often, Barry, but that is some achievement, you know? Yeah, I suppose it is. <laughs> okay. Is anyone else, anyone else having to say about the longevity of doing that? The, you know, to span, what is that, 20 years you're spanning, aren't you? 16, 16 years. 16. Jonathan? I thought he was guaranteed to score today. Like, I think, obviously, Barry, not a fan of him at all, but I, I think there's an inevitability about Ronaldo. Even though, it's, obviously, it's a penalty, you could argue it was a soft penalty, to be honest. I'm not even, you know, if it was the other end, would it would it have been given. But there's just an inevitability about Ronaldo in those certain moments when you know he's going to score one way or another. Um, and obviously, after all the hype and the talk and everything, I, I just felt before the match it was like guaranteed, guaranteed to score, and and obviously he did. So hopefully I've got you out of that one, Barry. I would rather focus on the three glorious opportunities he missed. Yeah, that's true. Um, one of which was when and how slow is Alexander Jiku, the Ghana centre half, who got left trailing in his wake. <laughs> When Ronaldo was put through one on one against uh, Lawrence Atizigi, the Ghana goalkeeper. Now, it turned out he was offside, but he didn't know that, and Atizigi saved very well from him as he tried to lift the ball over him. So, yeah, let's focus on those misses. But I, I sort of feel this is, this is what Ronaldo is now. He keeps breaking records or extending records, and everybody kind of has to say, oh, he's, hasn't he been brilliant? Hasn't he done it for a long time? Isn't he a marvellous goal scorer? All of which is true. But I actually think far more significant, far more interesting is the fact he probably makes Portugal worse. Now, I, th- I think it's not as clear cut with Portugal as it is. Sounds like you're rehashing your column here, Wilson. <laughs> don't take this away from me. I haven't got much left. I, I, don't, I don't think it's quite as obvious with Portugal as it was at Manchester United. And as it w- will be for whichever Saudi club he joins, who I'm sure he'll be getting in the way of loads of young Saudi prospects. Maybe, maybe in fact styming an entire Saudi wave that they should be surfing having beaten Argentina. But I just think he slows everything down and he doesn't even finish particularly well now. His finishing has started to desert him as well. And the reason I say it's not as obvious for Portugal that he, he's deleterious of a team is they don't really have a centre forward, I don't think. I mean, um, we've got Joe Felix who can play there. Not, you know, he, but he's not a sort of, he's not a number nine. It, it sort of feels that as soon as Ronaldo does retire, we're going to go back to the the Portugal conversation we used to have, which was, why do they not produce centre forwards? Why, you know, why is Pauleta the only centre forward in the history of Portuguese football? I mean, apart from Eusebio and Ronaldo, who are obviously two quite big, <laughs> big figures. Hel- Helder Postiga, of course. Yeah, I mean, I think that kind of proves my point with respect to the former Tottenham legend. But I, 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 yeah, I, I, I sort of feel with Portugal that the, the quality of people like Bernardo Silva and Bruno Fernandes and, and uh, Emerson Leão. They they deserve better. They they'd be a lot more fun to watch if they didn't have Ronaldo there and if they had a slightly more adventurous coach than Fernando Santos. So did you say Emerson Ra- uh, Leal and you meant Rafael Leal? Or did you say two players there? I, I said I said Emerson Leal, who's Brazil's goalkeeper in the 1974 World Cup. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I meant I meant 
No, leave it in. Fuck it. I'm fucked. Okay, that's fine. Yeah. Um, uh, anyway, uh, of course, uh, Ronaldo isn't the only one getting on because look at Wilson here. He's <laughs> on empty. <isn't> <laughs> the tournament's only in its fifth day. Well, Emerson Leao was, I think, the, one of the very first Brazilians to start doing uh, advertising contracts. He advertised um, chickens and, uh, and pants. Right. Not, a, not simultaneously. A, I think chicken pant double. It's great. Not chickens in pants. With, you know, really I mean, yeah. Brazilian quirk. <laughs> I, I, I think, uh, I mean, like, I, can't, I can't remember anything at the minute, but I think that the word for, for chicken in Brazilian is the word they use for goalkeeping mistake. So it was like a, it was like a pun around that. Ah, right, I see. Um, it feels like, feels like with that sort of anecdote, we've reached the end of this game, <laughs> haven't we? And uh, uh, we'll be back in a second. Uh, in part three, with the other games and any other business. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Two games to go then. Uh, let's start with the goalless draw. Uruguay nil, South Korea nil. Uh, Joe Barton, screenwriter and friend of the pod, tweeted, Uruguay v South Korea. Let's find out once and for all whether having lots and lots of tattoos or absolutely no tattoos makes a difference to sporting aptitude. It turns out they cancel each other out. Um, Christopher says, I'm on an absolute shocker at the moment. Two goals in the last six matches I've watched. Switzerland, Cameroon, Belgium, Canada and the four nil-nils. Why does every match that's so nil-nil on paper, it can't possibly be in reality, still end up nil-nil? And yet it does. Although, Barry, I quite enjoyed this goalless draw. Um, yeah, well, as goalless draws go, I suppose it was all right. I mean, there was, there was no shots on target, but two off the woodwork, which led to the exchange, what was probably the most entertaining part of the game, where Danny Murphy on COCOMS said he couldn't figure out how a shot that hits the woodwork isn't on target. And Peen Muhlenstein, who was the, the commentator, just cut him off with a curt because they're not on target. Duh. <laughs> Didn't we have that conversation on the pod? Probably. Troy Townsend. <laughs> I think Troy Townsend's pretty sure that it's on target. I kind of see Danny's point. No, no, no. There is no. Okay. So you've got, for instance, a bridge with eight foot clearance and you've got a lorry that's eight foot two. So it, it yeah. hits the very bottom bit of the bridge. It has not kind of cleared the bridge. It has hit the bridge. In the same it way, the, the ball has yeah. hit the bar and not the gap under the bar, which is yeah. the target, right. both for the ball and the lorry. Well, what, what if the ball hits the bar and goes in and off the underside of the bar? That's presumably on target. Well, that is on target. In the same way, if you just sort of scrape the very top of the van, you've hit the target right. of the... <laughs> Okay. Don't make me do this. I mean, <laughs> you started it. I didn't understand until you gave me the lorry driving under a bridge analogy, and now I'm completely across it. I, I was at this game, and I will say that as nil draws go, it was beautiful in that after 15 minutes, I had absolutely 100% confidence it was going to be nil-nil. And so I wrote my match report almost before half-time saying this will be nil-nil, this was nil-nil, and just talking about how old the Uruguayans are. Well, I did wonder if you could have rehashed your Ronaldo column for Suarez in the fact that he can't press and that changes. You know, the Uruguay have got quite an exciting midfield, haven't they? Bentancourt's a lovely player. Valverde's been brilliant for Real Madrid. And you just thought Nunes is playing out wide on the left. That seems not where he should be. Well, I don't know because I, I, I don't no. think he's a very good centre-forward. I think he might be better coming from unusual positions. Uh, so I, I, I think 
I, I'm not sure which way around the causality is. Does Nunez have to play wide on the left because Suarez has to play? Or does Suarez have to play because Nunez can't really play through the middle? I'm not sure which of those two is true. But Suarez was dreadful. He had an awful game. I think he touched the ball 14 times, three touches in opposition box, one shot which wasn't on target. Incredibly slow. Um, he doesn't even seem kind of nasty anymore. He seems to have lost the ability to be irritating. Because he's so old, he's lost his teeth. He can't bite <laughs> <Yeah>. people. <laughs> so, just as a gummy, sort of a gummy. Anyway, you understand the whole thing. And, and I didn't think Palistri was particularly good either, which um, I thought at least he'd provide some pace and some energy, you know, given how young he is. But, but no. What did you make of it, Jonathan? I didn't think it was a terrible nil-nil, but it, it was heading towards a nil-nil. I, I think my... My kind of takeaway at the moment from the tournament, I suppose we're nearly close to the first round. Well, the first round of games is now done. I think like, I'm not sure there's really that many top world-class strikers in world football anymore. Like, I think there's a bit of a dearth of like genuine world-class strikers. If you look back at World Cups previous, you know, you, you think of Batistuta or Romario or like, strikers that you really look forward to watching at every tournament almost. And I feel like in this one, there's a bit of a lack of that. I mean, my conclusion from the, even the Cameroon uh, Switzerland game was almost that Chupa Moting is actually one of the best strikers in the world on the evidence of this tournament in terms of the way the runs he made and and um, the, you know how he played uh, because there's not that many of them that that really do are that effective. Huang missed a huge chance. Well, and the, and the ones who are the ones who are here are really old. Yeah, so, so you've you've got Suarez, you've got uh, Lewandowski, you've got Messi, you've got Ronaldo. It's a tournament of really really old strikers. Yeah, I don't. I don't see any like genuine like top top world class strikers. Maybe the two best are, are not even here, Haaland and maybe Benzema. So, but even Benzema's thirty four. So you know he's another old striker. Exactly. So Huang, um, Huang missed a massive chance for South Korea, obviously, which was glaring. And you know any striker of world repute should score that really. And then obviously Uruguay with with Nunes didn't really do much. He was in and out of the game. Cavani came on, and again, you know he's he's aging. So it was an interesting game. I thought that South Korea tactically, like they didn't really get Sun in behind, which was, I think, a point they made on, on the commentary as well, in the sense that he was sort of hanging around the box and taking long shots and things like that. So I don't think we learned a huge amount from either team, really, except that maybe then they're both okay, but not amazing. The only other observation really was, I, I think I said it in the preview show, didn't I? Fede Valverde, um, I just think he's a brilliant midfielder. Nearly, nearly scored. And probably the highlight of the game was him celebrating that tackle as if... Uh, yeah. As if he'd scored in the World Cup final. I did wonder with Son as well, Barry, that, that he was played sort of wide left for South Korea as well, which isn't really where he plays for Spurs. And I wonder if they if they could have got him more central as well. Yeah, I, I wonder about that. I wonder, you know, how injured is he? How how much pain is his facing? And I always think players playing wearing those protective masks, it's... It's got to be on your mind that you might ship a blow to the face, and he was largely ineffective throughout the game until I think quite late in the second half. He had a, a shot from distance uh, that went narrowly wide after the Uruguayan keeper had given the ball away, Kaylor Navas. Um, so, did you say Kaylor Navas? Uh, Kaylor Navas. He's yeah. Costa Rican, isn't he? Oh, I did. did, did I? He was playing yesterday for Costa Rica. <laughs> yes, unless, he's, unless, unless he's unless he's magic. So we've got three pods in the top four of the episodes in the sports charts. Fuck knows how. There's a lot of goalkeeper <laughs> anyway. confusion going on today. <laughs> anyway, say it again, and they can edit it in or out. I so can't who is it? Talking about. 
It's not Muslera. It's, it's, it's the other one. Um, oh, God. I, did, I mean, I was fucking out the game. Jesus Christ. Uh, it was Sergio Alvarez. Yeah. So he uh, shot from distance after the Uruguayan keeper, Sergio Alvarez, gave the ball away. And that went sort of narrowly wide. But, yeah, it was a, just a bad day at the office for Sonny, I think. Joe says, uh, why is it when Edison Cavani and Darwin Nunes play together, does it feel like I'm watching the music video to More Than Words by Extreme? I enjoyed that question. Um, I'm just trying to see if anybody, as Wilson, probably doesn't know that song. I made a music joke yesterday on Twitter, if you saw it. No, I didn't see it. What was well, it? The, the last tube station on the Green Line, which is where you have to go to to go to the Ahmed Bin Ali Stadium, is called mm-hmm. uh, Mall of Qatar, which is right. probably my favourite Wings song. Ah, oh, really yeah. quite good. Yeah, okay, well done. Uh, let's hastily move on to Switzerland 1, Cameroon 0. Not a modern-day classic. I think we can all agree. Um, Tony says, Mbala looked so sad when he scored against the country of his birth. Is the non-celebration celebration appropriate in such circumstances? Yeah, he was born in Cameroon when he was five. His mother moved to France. Uh, whilst there, she met her future husband, a Swiss national. So the following year, he moved to Basel. And that's why he plays for Switzerland. I would say, Jonathan, completely acceptable. I mean, I think it's more acceptable than like you've been on loan at Bristol Rovers for like 10 minutes so you won't play. Like you're actually born in that country. Like I, I think I probably might give you a pass. I think from an African football perspective, it's, it's, it's not going too well, is it? I mean, um, Mbolo born in Yaoundé scoring against Cameroon. I think I saw George Weah getting pelters uh, for Tim Weah when he, I think he's taken time off his presidency to spend the time at watching his son and I think a lot of the Liberian population were giving him pelters for that, um, especially the fact that his son chose America, uh, USA. So from that point of view, it's, it's, there's, a few, there's been a few sort of um, jabs in, in the hearts of African countries. But it's another thing about top, top strikers in, in this game. You know, Mbolo, he's not one of the world's best, best forwards or anything, but he, he, he offered that, you know, that, just that little bit of extra uh, thrust. It wasn't the best game. Again, it was not much between the two sides, I, I didn't feel. Um, Cameroon in the first half were, were quite good. Um, they created a few openings. And that's what I was saying about, uh, about supermoting the way he held the ball up and brought others into play like Mbwemo. From the games you've seen in this tournament so far, he, he's kind of stood out. I'm not, I'm not for one minute saying he's one of the world's best strikers, but in this tournament, I'm saying he's one of the few that's actually stood out and looked like a kind of uh, a target man who can, who can do well. Although he tired and got taken off in the second half, supermoting, he seems to... See, maybe he's not used to it with Bayern being, you know, in and out of the team. He, he seems to struggle with nights for 90 minutes. Um, but yeah, I just, I just feel like particularly the, the West African nations that so far in this tournament, Senegal's a bit of a caveat because they missed Mane so much. And, and I really felt that um, with Mane, they might have been, they might have been in the Netherlands. But I, I just felt that Cameroon and Ghana today, they, both of them didn't really, they, they, they seem to sort of struggle to raise the tempo when there's, you know, when the game is kind of, uh, and nil-nil and it's there for the taking. I just feel like that, uh, that some of the West African sides don't take that initiative. And as soon as um, Switzerland, sort of the second half, it seemed like the manager at halftime maybe instructed them to maybe go down the right-hand side a bit more. Down Cameroon's left, they were quite weak and, and the cross obviously came in from from that right side for for Mbolo to score. So I think, yeah, I suppose you can detect from this, I'm not, I'm not too thrilled with the African sides at this tournament so far, unfortunately. Dave says... I know he's not on, but a new career for Andros beckons after his excellent debut on CoComs. Uh, one space for one Townsend in the Football Weekly hot seat? Or like, you know, what do we do? Do we sub out Troy, Barry, bring in Andros? Is that a bit harsh? Well, that'd be like the famous occasion when Ida Johnson came on 
for, replace his dad in the Icelandic national team, wouldn't it? I think Andros still has plenty left to offer as a player once he recovers from his knee injury. So I, I'm happy with Troy at the moment. Um, yeah, no, I, I, we all love Troy. To be totally honest, we do. <laughs> we do love Troy. But I thought Andros, Andros is a brilliant. I think I really like him on the radio, and I really like him actually as co-coms. Actually, tells you things that you might not have seen or explains them really well. I think, like myself in that regard, Max. Well, absolutely. <laughs> um, actually, I noticed in this game, I don't know if Andros pointed it out, but like this game was between two teams who, in our preview, I think they were. we said they're two teams that would struggle to score, and they were, were both a bit toothless, Switzerland marginally less so. But, and we also said that Rigobert Song, has, the manager of Cameroon, has a reputation for being a bit tactically naive, I suppose, putting it kindly, and... I did notice that his policy seemed to be a John Becker, Cambridge United style, hit it long to the channels and then try and get the ball into the box. And it worked a bit in the first half, but it never really looked like scoring at Cameroon. No. Uh, Matty says, I know this may not be the biggest issue with this World Cup, but for colourblind viewers such as me, Switzerland Cameroon is nearly unwatchable. A simple kick change from either would have made all the difference. Man, how football can't seem to get this right. Uh, yeah, I think that... They have protocols in the Premier League, but that does seem a bit of an oversight, doesn't it? Um, any other business? Gareth Southgate has confirmed Harry Kane is fit to play. What a roller coaster it's been. Harry is fine. He has worked slightly separately from the group, but all good for Friday night. Uh, James Madison, the only one who didn't take part in training, uh, he was left inside. Seems a bit harsh, doesn't it? <laughs> He's leaving. What's, what's he done wrong? What have they done? Poor James Madison's just there. You know, take him to the World Cup. There's a big hoo-ha. It's the big story. And then he just has to peer through the window looking at everybody else. Uh, FIFA's confirmed that fans with rainbow wall bucket hats and rainbow flags will be allowed entry into the stadium for Wales' this game against Iran on Friday. All World Cup venues have been contacted and instructed to follow the agreed rules and regulations. Um, it's not for me to say that FIFA is sort of making it up as they go along. There's actually on, on the stadium today, and I presume that this happens at other stadiums, but there was uh, just just as you went in on the left side, there's a little area barriered off, like square, along the side of it. It said uh, flags and banners evaluation area, which right. I'd really like to believe that it actually is that. And that if you're a nation who's thinking, ah, yeah, maybe we should lose the union flag from off our flag, what, what could we go for? You could take it along and they were... Yeah, have you maybe try slightly deeper shade of red? Have you, have you thought of that? Mm. Oh, is, is that is that a bit similar to Romania? Do you want to do you sure you, you know can you not see something a bit different? Or you know banner, you take along. Yeah, have you thought of I don't know you would maybe like space the letters out a bit to sort of squash up at the end? Or how about making it a, a bit less rainbowy? Yeah, I mean possibly you know because they don't know exactly what they're going to do with all these stadiums. Uh, after the World Cup, is you know Fiona Bruce could take Antiques Roadshow there, and just if you just put a sticker over the E, then people could just bring their flags to be valued by like an old man <laughs> with a beard. Um, today we're in Doha, <laughs> you know, lots of nice old middle class British people going. I was just found this in my loft. I don't know what it is. It's a flag. Anyway, uh, Chapello says, having seen lots of the fans from around the world with various outfits on and face paint, do you think it's just a bit touristy football fans? Would or have you ever done it? Have have you ever gone face paint or outfit to a football match um, looking around? Um, Barry? No. Wilson? I mean, I, I, have, I have worn a replica shirt. I have worn a scarf. Uh, Jonathan? 
what state of dress up have you gone into a football match? Face paint, not for me, I think. Um, but yeah, replica shirt, yeah, no problem with that. No half and half scarves. I, I think I did have the England flag face painted. Oh, Max. Oh, oh, 2006 oh, oh. England's Trinidad in the World Cup. So you were an adult? I was an adult. Oh, Jesus. oh Max. Sorry about that. I think I, I don't think I had the whole. Oh, hang on a sec. No, I had like a flag of each country on my cheek. Each country said you had a half, had half and half and face. <laughs> I had a half and half face. Yeah, I did. Modern football, everything's wrong with it. I think someone was doing them quite well. I'll see if I can find a photo. I think that's about. I think I might have done face paint in my gap, gap year in Australia when England played Tunisia in 98. Got to be honest about these things. I was young. Speaking of gap years, did you see Jesse March has just climbed Machu Picchu? I'm pleased for him that he's decided to use this break to go and, you know, I'm sure Leeds fans are furious that he's not on the training ground with, you know, the two players that are left. But, you know, nice picture of him and his family uh, at Machu Picchu, I saw on Twitter today. As Volomir says, is Wilson and Barney's roommate dynamically more a double pivot or a striker tandem? How's it going with Barney? Absolutely fine. I uh, don't see much of him because we're both working and so. Uh... You know, one of us gets in at half one, next one gets in at half two, and uh, we, we sort of see each other for half an hour over breakfast the next morning. That's it. Okay. Um, so you haven't you haven't filmed the Morecambe and Wise <laughs> in bed with little hats yet? I mean, there's, there's not a double bed in the flat, so it's very hard to do. Well, unless Barney's got a double. Maybe Barney's got a double. Maybe he's got the better room. I thought wow. of it. I, uh, no. He probably deserved it, to it's be possible. fair. Yeah. It's possible. No, it's two singles in my room. I assume the other two rooms are the same. Uh, Mick Beale might be going to Rangers. He might not. He turned down Wolves, didn't he? But I suppose if you're going from Queen's Park Rangers to Rangers, like you might have some kit that you wouldn't have to change, in a sense. Uh, um, Carlo Torre expects to become the Wigan Athletic Manager uh, in the next couple of days. Um, so uh, that is uh, exciting for him, isn't it? I can't say. It's not exciting for me. It's exciting for you, Barry. Um, it, where, where is it? He was working as someone's assistant, isn't he? Is there... is he yes. Is he Pep's assistant? I, I made that up. Klopp's assistant. Is he Klopp's assistant? No, I don't think it's... No, Brendan Rodgers. Brendan Rodgers. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, I sort of gave him a couple of promotions there, didn't I, Golo? Um, finally, friend of the show, Paul Watson, um, who is boycotting the World Cup. We'll get him on at some point to find out if he's had a nice time. <laughs> but uh, Kitmus is back, so uh, uh, it's a really good thing. Founded by him and his wife, and his brother helps him out distributing shirts to young football fans with the help of loads of clubs. It started small and it's getting bigger and it's a really lovely thing to do. Um, it's spread to Canada already. You can help by donating money, donating a shirt, setting up your own version of Kitmas with your club or supporters group and we'll get him on to chat about it. Just uh, go to his Twitter page, Paul Watson, or Google Kitmas. Uh, and there you go. And that'll do for today's pod. Uh, thank you, Jonathan Wilson. Cheers, thank you. Uh, thank you, Jonathan Vadiba. Thank you very much. Thank you, Barry Glendenning. You're welcome. Uh, if you want to hear more about what it's like to be in Qatar for this World Cup, you can listen to Friday's episode of Today in Focus. Michael Safi reports on why in trying to keep politics out of the tournament, FIFA's managed to make it the most political World Cup to date. Football Weekly was produced by Lucy Oliver. Our executive producer is Danielle Stevens. This is The Guardian. 